Listeners, welcome back to another episode of Titanic Minute, your daily podcast where we discuss the movie Titanic Minute by Minute. I'm your co-host, Rob, and joined as always by my good friends, Joe and Duff. Ahoy. Son of a... <laughs> <laughs> and, and we're joined, it's, it's a Wednesday, Heart of the Ocean, or Heart of the Ocean today, our good friend Jim. Hello. It is a it is a treat to be the heart of the ocean uh, this week. I, I don't have a nautical themed greeting, but uh, I'm very happy to be here. Well, neither do I now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we're going to talk about minute seventy eight today. Uh, in minute seventy eight, uh, disguised Jack talks to Rose. Um, There's an abduction. Yes, <laughs> but we, before we get to that, we have uh, we have Cal, old, old you know Billy Zane here. Kind of like taking his like walking stick or cane and like <laughs> pounding on the lifeboat to be like waste of deck space as it is in an unsinkable ship. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty fun uh, another moment in uh, the movie where James Cameron makes absolutely certain that uh, you get the sense that there was this unbelievable hubris on the part of the people who designed and uh, operated the Titanic. He he likes to just hammer home. Hey, they could have had extra lifeboats. I wonder if that will be a problem later. <laughs> like, there's just no missing it. They then cut to the bridge where they're drawing down the shades on the yes. windows facing the front. <laughs> eh, we have nothing to see. <laughs> we don't want the furniture to fade in here, so at, during the day we close the shades so the sunlight doesn't come in. Uh, but it is uh, the start of this uh, minute when I was watching it in preparation here did make me happy because I, I enjoy having uh, Victor Garber in my minute. Yeah. Um, he's great. He's so good. He's always really good in things. And he and he has this little explanation of like, you know, you jam in sort of like, I guess, the Wikipedia fact of Titanic, right, into the, into the, the story here. Mm-hmm. How he explains very distinctly how he designed it for extra lifeboats. But you know what? Don't worry about it, Rose. Everything is going to be fine. Built you a fine ship. I built you a fine ship. It's all the lifeboat you need. I mean, to, to, you know, I listen, I like to do this. I like to defend Cal from time to time. But as far as Cal knows, this is an unsinkable ship. If you're in an unsinkable ship, why do you need lifeboats? Uh, I'm going <laughs> to push back on that a little bit. <laughs> is there any circumstance where you would think anything created by man of any type could possibly be indestructible? No, it's true. Is there but any like, object? I, I, I actually, maybe you can think of one. So I'd, I'd like to hear it if you can. Any object where someone can hand it to you, and you'd be like, and they're like, "This could never break," and you'd be like, "Oh, all right." Every time I go on an airplane, I am like, "Man was not meant to do this. What is going on?" I'm right, hurtling and, through. I'm hurtling through the sky in, in an aluminum tube. And before, like, I get to, before I get to my point, I'm, I want to say, the older I get, the more I agree with Duff. I'm getting worse at flying as I age. I will say, now you have to remember, the one thing that I like about this as a period piece is in that early 20th century, there was absolutely that mentality of like, you know what, I think we may have solved the world. Yeah. 
Like, it, it just seemed like when you see, like, stuff from that era, like, dated, like, advertising, or when you just, like, read certain things, like, of the moment, there's people just kind of thought they were going to have it all figured out. I guess what they what they hadn't figured out was ways to monetize failure. <laughs> so what they realized later is they're like, well, if things break all the time, people will have to replace it because they'll be too lazy to fix it. A. B. We could start selling this thing called insurance, baby. <laughs> Which Cal does have insurance on the heart of the ocean. Yes. Well, some things you can't yeah. risk. Uh, love. But- As I age, my my faith is not so much at a loss because of the objects. It's because of when you're a little kid, you see like a doctor you're like, oh, doctors are really smart. And then as you age and you know some people like you went to high school with and they become doctors and you're like, oh. Or teachers. <laughs> or <laughs> <laughs> Then you hear, then you see Ben Carson talk on TV and you're like, oh. Yeah, it's it, for me, it's just like it's some of the knuckleheads you knew in high school who go on to have these. <laughs> like, <laughs> Speaking of old-fashioned ideas, you just said knuckleheads. I like it, though. You look at these professions when you're a little kid, it's like, oh, a pilot. Pilots have it all together. And then it's like, oh, these pilots are alcoholics or something. (laughs) When I was in in elementary school, I saw our guidance counselor drinking a beer at a restaurant, and it crushed me. What? God, you're you're such a cop, Rob. Unbelievable. (laughs) I I was like, you know, third grade. And I was like, oh, no. He shouldn't be doing that. But didn't your dad drink beer? Yeah, but my dad wasn't a guidance counselor. He owned a bar. He's supposed <laughs> to drink beer. Hold on. Why did you have a guidance counselor in third grade? I just knew who the guidance counselor was in her. In her oh, it's a small town, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Um, we have we have uh, we have Jack. He's he's sitting here in disguise, and I have so many questions about this guy's like. How long has he been waiting to spring this little trap? Has he been there a long time? Did he see her and rush ahead of her? How does he know they're on this tour? Did he How consider hiding he in a boat? Did he, I want? Did he consider hiding in a boat? I would like to know that. <laughs> he tried all sorts of different places to hide in. He had a fake mustache that he took off. Yeah, he's basically just leaning on a post, brooding for potentially hours. I, I don't know, because when he went up there, they were in the bridge. You know, how did he know? How did he know the tour was there well, like a schedule and, of events? Well, and as we we know, Jim Rob explained that there's a deleted scene where Tommy and Fabrizio hoist him up to this deck. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> and <laughs> I wish they like, would have kept that in. <laughs> how, yeah, did he pick a time? Did he follow Rose and know her schedule? <sighs> Maybe maybe it's like an Ocean's Eleven thing where they have this intricately timed thing where yes. Fabrizio <laughs> and uh, what's it Tommy they like set up like mops and all sorts of things to like tailor them down the exact route they need to go to run into Jack. Um, my question is how oblivious are the rest of the party? It's like what happened to Rose? She was just right here. That stands out really badly. It's a nice scene, but. He's just leaning against the lifeboats directly in front of where they're walking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They don't notice him. Then they're clearly on some sort of tour, but she's just gone for a couple minutes. <laughs> yeah. She just disappears. But it's Cal, Rose's mom, mm-hmm. and Mr. Andrews, right? 
Yeah. Yeah, you think they would notice. It's four people. <laughs> when you yeah. go from four to three, it stands out. <laughs> yeah. Especially because they were more or less in mid-conversation. And then, yeah, they were talking. Yeah. <laughs> so Sneaky Sneaky Jack pulls Rose into the workout facility. He does. And I have before we get into the conversation, I have some fun facts from the deleted scene that I saved specifically for you, Jim. Oh, are you re- okay, good. Is this related to the workout room? It is, because uh, earlier in that deleted scene, uh, Ruth gets a tour of the workout room. And uh, and Ruth and Rose and Cal, and they talk about some of the things that are there. They mention a stationary bike, and there's a rowing machine. But also mentions two other things I want to talk about. One is an electric horse. Oh, man, this is why. I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm, <laughs> so, excited. One. I'm so excited because I, did, I researched the electric horse. Yes, and the other one is an electric camel. What? <laughs> Yes. Okay. I didn't even. And, it could, is that visible? I didn't notice it. The it's. I don't think it's visible. The electric camel is a machine that mimicked the gait of a riding a camel. Why and would the, you want that? Well, exercise. we're gonna get there. We're gonna get there. Uh, the exercise horse he mentioned is extremely popular during the tour. Now, this made <laughs> oh, me boy. think. Oh, I know no. you guys know where I'm going. Oh no! <laughs> no I'm going. Here's is, is, here, it for, is it for female hysteria? Here's, 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 yes, here's, exactly. Here's, I got to throw a shout out to Rachel from TMNT Minute. She was also a guest, uh, a Heart of the Ocean, for us earlier. In Syringe, she posted this thing about uh, hysteria and the strange history of vibrators. And the reason I bring it up is they mentioned that for hysteria, unrelieved by husbandly lust, and for widows. And for single and unhappily married women, doctors would advise horseback riding. <laughs> so I think these machines, the, these now camels, now makes a lot more sense now. <laughs> these electric camels and electric horses are just for you know a place for a woman to go for some relief. Well, it's funny that you, God, this deleted scene. I, I, I did not know about this when I was watching this minute. I was looking in the background now because I was like, "What? An, you know, this is, room is so unusual, right?" The yeah. first time you watch the scene, you're blinded by uh, Leo DiCaprio's eyes; they're just perfectly blue. Then, as you rewatch it, you see a, you're like, "Well, okay, there's a rowing machine, there's a punching bag, and then I see like a saddle." Mm-hmm. And so I also had like, you know, what what is this? And I find out it's an electric horse. <laughs> And I was like, well, what is in the electric, like, why is, what is the purpose of the electric horse? And there's not much that you can get from a quick Google search. However, I did find this story on mentalfloss.com, which is even better than Wikipedia, right? So in 19, the the electric horse, very popular turn of the century, right? Because turn of the century was the time when everyone thought they could solve everything. (laughs) The electric horse was um, an admirer of President Calvin Coolidge sent one to the White House in 1925. (laughs) What? And he he decided to try it for himself, and as Mental Floss puts it, a weird but true White House legend was born. So he apparently enjoyed having the electric horse in the White House. But here's where it gets even even funnier, and where it ties (laughs) into what you're getting at. The electric horse, I'm quoting from Mental Floss directly here, It was the brainchild of John Harvey Kellogg, the utopian doctor best known for inventing cornflakes. I know where this is going. John Harvey Kellogg invented the electric horse in an attempt to cure people of their masturbation habits. (laughs) That's true as well. Kellogg was a proponent of better living through electricity, crafting scores of inventions that promised to vibrate, shake, and shock patients back to health. 
Yes, because the best way to get people not to masturbate is to make something that vibrates. Absolutely. <laughs> Please sit atop this electronic vibrating device <laughs> and cleanse your thoughts of anything impure. So, was there, like, in gyms in this era, were there just lines of women waiting for their turn to get on the electric horse and camels? I think it's certainly possible. <laughs> they're lining up and they're just like, I really want to masturbate. Can I please get on this vibrating horse so I don't want to anymore? And then Kellogg was like, absolutely. <laughs> and they get on and they ride it for a while. They're like, all right, it worked. I no longer need to masturbate. And well, he was it, just like, my work here is done. It's uh, To him, he viewed it as like, wow, they're spending so much time on this electric horse that they don't have any time to masturbate. I've, I've done it. I'm a genius. Clearly, I am a success. It's They, they seem almost exactly as relaxed as they did when they were masturbating. <laughs> what an incredible substitute I've come up with. Here's some cornflakes, ladies. I wish during the scene there was just like a random passenger on titanic just like riding the horse slowly moaning in the background of the scene i'm imagining uh in uh talladega nights molly shannon when the race cars go by <laughs> just which contemporary billionaire is most likely to try to come up with a cure for masturbation a cure uh like... e- elon musk because it's a waste of time <laughs> yes it I, harms was productivity. I was thinking zuckerberg because mm. i'm not sure he has genitalia but uh, he he is very alien-like. Just smooth skin, like a Ken doll. Oh, I gotta say, if I could, probably semi-translucent so too. My, okay, I, I'm done now. I I wanted to comment on the exercise equipment for it. I know that at the time it was very like modern and fun-looking, but now looking back on it, it looks like some like Cenobite torture machine <laughs> or it something. Look good. The rowing machine looks like medieval torture. It just looks too big. Yeah. It looks like, like actual rowing. I can't imagine any I can't imagine anyone but Teddy Roosevelt using that. Literally it also, the only person <laughs> I can picture. It also sort of looks like a like a deleted scene from 50 Shades of Grey with all the stuff in the background. Yeah, it too. looks like S&M equipment. <laughs> it's a cold room, like it's a like a weird like empty exercise room. But uh well, it's a fun setting with some fun fun facts <laughs> taking place in the background. Yeah. I am I, I, I cannot say enough. I mean, to, if you want to make a heart of the ocean feel special, you bring up the electric horse, <laughs> and you say that's why I wanted to have you on the show. <laughs> and then, not knowing I'm going to be asked that, I've independently researched it on my own. Uh. <laughs> I feel pretty good about that. That's very nice of you. Thank you. The, the, the crazy thing is I knew what the electric horse was, but I was like, what's the electric camel? And I couldn't find anything about the electric camel because apparently it was only on Titanic, but it was a real thing. And it just is the same what? thing, just a different gate. That was the only one? Well, I don't know if it was the only one, but like. Well, it's lo- we've never heard of it. It's lost to time now. Yeah. It's I did the bottom actually- of the ocean. It was um it was mentioned in the uh, uh, some of our fans like to hear this the Titanic uh, video game, the uh, Adventure Out of Time, and there's a part where you're when I looked up uh, electric horse or electric camel you're supposed to meet a character at the electric camel over in the uh, in the in the fitness room. Was it so, a very pent up lady? Uh, <laughs> not sure. <laughs> so electric man. camel would be a cool name for a bar. Yeah, that would be pretty good. Or a heavy metal band. 
Electric Camel has a lot of uses. Yeah, well, yeah. sitting on it's the best use, apparently. To have one hump or two. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so we go into the conversation they actually have here. Uh, you know, Jack has just grabbed Rose. He's he's just opened a door. Does he know this goes to the fitness room, or he has no clue where this is going to? He just saw a random door and like this is open. Yeah, o- opens in there, kind of like grabs her and kind of puts her up against the wall. There's an abduction. Yeah. Well, he yeah. saw the theme of that room. Well, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and this is when we have. Uh, I know there's a famous drinking game for Titanic when you drink whenever they say each other's uh, names. Uh, this minute would be tough to get through because <sighs> Rose says Jack four times, and at one point she says Jack three times in ten seconds. Yeah. <laughs> and and he says her name a lot too, doesn't he? I didn't only, count it out, but uh, only once in this minute. But he does in the movie a lot. He only says it here. He says, uh, uh, right away. She says, "Jack, this is impossible. I can't see you." Um, and then he says he needs to talk to her. And then she gives a. a I mean, I, I don't know about you guys. I thought it was incredibly convincing. She said that she's engaged. I'm marrying Cal. Yeah, I love Cal. I love Cal. And and I actually practiced saying the line like her. <laughs> because it's so outrageous. There's, I love Cal. Like, you, you, Kate Winslet could not be less convincing ever, as an actor, right? Like it's just it's 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 painful to watch, at, at least the first time through. But uh, yeah. uh, but but go ahead. Well, no, I think you're right. I think it's uh, it, it's a little awkward staging when they first get in that room. But like once this sort of exchange happens, I think uh, both of them are very good in it, especially I... Kate Winslet. I was going to say, I, I mean, this is pretty typical James Cameron dialogue, but pretty much, I think, for, for me, like, this here on out is really where the movie clicks into place for me. Okay, like, so fa- it clicks. Faults, faults and all. Just, I, part of it, and we've talked about this, is the, the chemistry of Kate and Leo. So, it clicks for me at the clock. It clicks for you here. Joe? Has it clicked yet for you? I'm sorry, I wasn't listening. <laughs> <laughs> what was the question? Uh, this movie clicked for me at the clock. It clicked for Duff right now. When like does when you start movie... to like it? Yeah, like where not, you're not, like, not, and I not wouldn't that, say like, just... I wouldn't say that like I didn't like it before this. Aside from the uh, present day scenes we talked about, but just from like this point on, like it. I would say, like, it becomes, like, a favorite. There's no spot. To, there's no, from here on or from the clock on for me, you're not You're not pausing it. You're not using the bathroom. You're not taking a break. You're in. You're in at yeah. this point. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and I know it's super cheesy, but his whole, like, speech to her about, you're no picnic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, that doesn't land well. I'm still, it still hasn't clicked for me, but there is a point where it does. I'll let you know. Okay. Okay. Uh, Is it the iceberg? I, what about you, Jim? <laughs> well, Jim, what, what about you on this? I. What do you well, think about this? You no picnic. Well, I need. See, I needed balance in watching this movie and this and this scene in particular, because I didn't. I don't have a young years formative years experience with Titanic. Sure. Um, but uh, but I do enjoy the movie. Um, but then watching this minute again, you know, we the James Cameron dialogue a little rough at first. However, when uh, when she says 
I love that that reading she says of it. I love Cal. Like she mm-hmm. she's not even convinced herself. DiCaprio gives her this sort of like exasperated look, like, hey, don't you know, don't BS me. And then he goes into the you're no picnic, but you know, you're beautiful, right? And he gives her the speech. My I watched the minute with my girlfriend and she was swooning. She literally swooned. She let she let out a gasp, right? <laughs> when DiCaprio starts the speech. And I'm like, Really? Because this seems a little it seems a little cheesy. And she's like, No. She's like, No, this this is where it works. Like if you if you're in Rose's position, you don't even believe what you're telling them. And he gives you that look, like, come on. Let's be straight with each other. I love you. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, yeah, I can see that. Based on every woman I've ever talked to, uh, DiCaprio is even better than an electric horse. <laughs> <laughs> in in this movie. Like, it, like yeah, he... I mean, I mean, I see it. I totally see it. He's charming as hell. He's good looking. And again, like, it's uh, Kate and Leo. They, they click. It works. Yeah. I mean, the, the, this minute ends sort of, uh, he's a little frustrated and he's like searching for the words, but you know, what's about to come is he, he does pull it off and the, and the look right away, like, I mean, even being a 41 year old man, that light in that room, like his eyes are just popping. He looks perfect. James Cameron knows how to frame people and how to, yeah. Yeah. He, Two two things I'll say about this. One, um, I think the and I'm actually gonna give James Cameron credit on this as well. The part of this line that I like the most is when you know he kind of goes on, you're no picnic, you're a swell little brat, but he sort of gives her compliments, right? You're amazing, astounding, wonderful, and he says, "Girl," and then he goes, "No, woman," and I feel like. <laughs> I feel like that's a big deal, and I feel like that's a really big deal because, like, Kate, I mean, Rose is, like, 19 here, right? So, like, I think it's really important that this, like, you know, young woman is trying to figure out how to, you know, be independent and be herself and have this guy kind of, like, <laughs> not call her a girl, right? Like, say, like, you're, you're a woman. I also think, to go with your point, Jim, this is sort of Jack's Hail Mary right here, right? Like, this is – he's he's got – his one chance here, he feels like before he loses her, and he's just gonna, you know, <laughs> and I and I think DiCaprio's very good on this, on that sort of that like, uh, I'm gonna do this, but I'm also winging it and not sure of it, but I'm just pushing forward. Does this answer the question of what was his plan of going into church? Was he going to give this speech in front of everyone in the church <sighs> service? I, that question is still not answered. I don't think. I think just desperation grasping at straws i mean he grabs a he grabs an overcoat and a bowler (laughs) (laughs) and then and then uses that to just hide out on the first class deck right like his pants and his shoes look like crap yeah (laughs) but he's like this is what i got now now especially knowing the deleted scene about how fabrizio helped push him up (laughs) push him up there (laughs) i mean that's really great i wish that was in the movie Jackie's so heavy. <laughs> Go find a wife. <laughs> I mean, oh, oh can man! Can you push me up? Can push me up here? I'm gonna figure it out. You know, <laughs> uh, it's a ni- it's a nice moment. It's it's definitely nicer once like I watched it a few times and kind of thought about it. Yeah, yeah, I it, it definitely works for me. Do do you guys have anything else for this actual minute of the movie? 
I have a Victor Garber thing I'd like to say, if I may. Oh, yes, yeah. absolutely. It's not necessarily related to this minute, but if we don't get a chance to talk about it, I've got to get this in for Victor Garber. We've had, we've had very little Victor Garber talk thus far, so please yeah. go ahead. Oh, well, okay, so I, he's a great actor. Um, I've seen, you know, we've seen him in a lot of stuff always, right? I remember him like in Argo. He was like the Canadian uh, ambassador or something, right, to Iran. He's he one of those. Like, he's one of that those guys, right? Yeah. You're like, oh, it's that guy. Yeah. And so uh, I thought in my head because I know in Tombstone, uh, you guys had the guy. The guy in Tombstone was in the movie Cliffhanger, right? Uh, uh, I can't remember the actor's name. Michael Rooker. Yeah, and so yeah, in my yeah. head, I was like, was Victor Garber in Cliffhanger? <laughs> But he wasn't. He was not. It's too bad. <laughs> Which I was really hoping. Cliffhanger I was really is hoping. a great movie, by the and, way. Oh, absolutely. Owns. So I had to go through the Victor Garber IMDb, and he has one of the great roles. Not everybody, not every actor gets to play this. He was Jesus in Godspell. Not a lot of guys get to say, I played Jesus. I had no idea. In a, in a beloved production. Also, that uh, must mean he must have a pretty good singing voice. Yeah, he he's got to be multifaceted. I, I watched a couple clips, and it's pretty interesting. He has a heart painted onto his third eye in the movie, and uh, and he. Oh, this has was the the movie version of God. The movie version of God. Oh, okay. And then he also has semi mime makeup on his eyes. If you obviously in a podcast, I can't show you a YouTube clip, but I encourage anyone listening, just type in just type in Victor Garber Godspell. And for anyone not familiar with Godspell, it is very 70s. Oh. Hey, I'm not familiar with it. But I do remember we did mention that Victor Garber was a solo folk singer, and he was in a group called The Sugar Shop, remember, with a, top, a Canadian Top 40 hit. I didn't I think, know that. That's amazing. I think we, yeah. I think, we, uh, I think that's like an earlier minute we might have mentioned that up. But, yeah, he, he was in like the, like the 60s in a, in a like folk band. But but Victor Garber, this is very tangential, but bear with me. Victor Garber's role in making Godspell be popular has an tremendous influence on the culture because Godspell's popularity created a touring production that went to Toronto. And the Toronto production of Godspell was this sought-after thing. And basically the entire cast of SCTV and Dan Aykroyd and Paul Schaefer all auditioned for Godspell in Toronto. Wow, <laughs> that's awesome! And that was like a break to their to their to their fame. So Victor Garber, in some small way, you might as well just go out and claim it. He is responsible for SCTV and Saturday Night Live. <laughs> oh, I, I think in that's a, fair. Yeah, in a, in a small tangential way. It's but that was bigger. that was my Victor Garber trivia. I wanted to make sure I got in as Heart of the Ocean. That's amazing. I'm glad we were able to give you a Victor Garber minute. A Victor yeah. Garber platform, and then anti-masturbation electric horses from the early 20th century. <laughs> yes. This is why you had me on, and I'm, I'm very thankful for the opportunity. So we kind of, we, you talked a little bit about it, but what, were, what was your experience with Titanic when it came out in early, early 1998, uh, late 1997? Uh, I was a student at UWM, University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. I was a journalism major. I just like it was, you know, like you guys have said before on the thing, like there's this misconception among younger men, like, oh, it's a girl movie. It's, you know, that's not for me. Sure. And so I just kind of didn't pay attention to it. And then it came out, what, like right before Christmas, right? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So (laughs) even though I was young and stupid, I was a journalism major. So I got the Journal Sentinel every day. And the paper comes one day in like March or April. And there's a cover story about Titanic. 
and I do like a triple take, like what, what is this? And the journal Sentinel did this story about the movie and it was, what is this phenomenon? And I knew it had been a big success, but I guess I didn't quite grasp it. And they interviewed people at the theater, like four months after it had come out. And they're like, what is it about the movie? Right. Cause they were still selling like nearly selling out like at theaters in Milwaukee. Wow. And they interviewed this girl who she was like, a teenager or something or, or maybe even early college and she said that day was her 16th in theater viewing what and that was my like etched into my brain forever that to me is like the entire movie it is the phenomenon that made a young person a young woman see it 16 times in the theater that was with me forever i just you know, I was still stupid and I didn't go see the movie or anything, (laughs) but like, I just forever and ever, I'll never forget that. I was just like, it was unfathomable to me because I knew it was like, it was over three hours. Yeah. Oh yeah. Just like, how how do you do it? How do you do it? But I mean, when I, when I watched it now, when I didn't watch it in full until uh, a few months ago, I mean, I can see it. Like Kate Winslet's pretty damn good. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's it's pretty good. I I definitely think it. I, I we're, you know we're sort of like going through a process of watching this movie and having our thoughts on it. But I definitely think that as it goes on, uh, I find my opinion of the movie rising. Um, even though like there's a lot we make fun of, there's still a lot of stuff where I'm like, this movie. I know it's 20 years old, but it, to me, is still very good. Yeah, it's honestly even while doing this, there have been times like. I kind of want to just watch Titanic, <laughs> or like have it on in the background or something. Or, um, yeah, it, like I did see the last half of the movie one day on HBO in like the mid two thousands. Okay, because I I I was flipping through and saw the, I I didn't know like how much I had missed, but it was clearly like the sinking had begun, right? Yeah, and I was like, well, I'll watch the sinking. <laughs> And the and the technological like marvel of it was like ridiculous. I was like, this is just amazing how they're doing this. And then watching it again now, like in full, start to finish, like it's a pretty wild accomplishment. Even if you don't like it, or even if you hate it, I think everyone can agree that it's a pretty crazy triumph of a production. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, just absolutely. And then especially once I can't remember who in the in the Facebook group. Titanic steerage. I can't remember who posted it, but the premier magazine article from the like 96 or whatever with the reporter who does the long form reporting from the set about the production. Yes. I mean, that is like one of the most must read entertainment articles I've ever seen in my entire life. Oh yeah, for sure. It's a good one. It's, it really helps. It helps. It gives, it adds more to the movie. And for me trying to come up with why it was so big, there are, you know, there's factor A or factor B or whatever, and just you can't really explain it because there are certain movies where, like, Star Wars, you get why Star Wars became big or closer to Titanic's time, The Matrix, where they're kind of these, like, paradigm shift movies. This was a throwback movie. <laughs> like, oh, totally. Yeah. There's, there's just so much where it's like, well, I get... I would have expected it to be, you know, a, a success, 
maybe even win Oscars. But this was number one at the box office. It was released before Christmas, and I believe it was number one each weekend until April of the following year. It was something insane like that. It never, it never dipped. I mean, yeah. I mean, that girl, 16 times. 16 times. Crazy. 16 times in the theater. Um, well, Jim, do you have any uh, last cracks at the bat here on Titanic? No, it was super fun. I and I thank you for letting me ramble about Victor Garber. Yeah, I'm a big Victor. I'm, I'll, I'll do the Victor Garber fan club if I have to. <laughs> Very good actor. Always fun when he's on screen. All right, guys. Well, Jim, thanks a lot for being on. Thanks, Jim. Thank you very much. Yeah, Thanks for awesome. having me as the heart of the ocean. Oh, anytime. And uh, listeners, we will be back tomorrow with uh, Minute 79. <laughs>